Divisional weekend in the books. Let's get into it. It's the Full 10 Yards NFL podcast. Hello, everyone. Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL podcast. Yes, I'm back after my one-week boy. Thanks, lads, for holding the fort last week. Uh, I think the number one seeds would wish they'd have had another week off because uh, it all crashed and burned. We'll get into it, fellas, very, very shortly. Let's welcome you in, though, first and foremost. Josh, how you doing, buddy? I'm all good, mate. Uh, last week, I was on a bit of a high, considering that my uh, my playoff bracket was perfect. And now it is perfect in the way that it is completely destroyed. Not a single one of my brackets survived the weekend, so uh, I don't know how much of an authority I can even be on this show today, but uh, all good otherwise, and uh, yeah, happy to be talking the real business end of the uh, NFL now, only four teams left. Absolutely, mate, yeah, lots of brackets probably took a bit of a battering this weekend. Steve, how you doing, buddy? I think this week we might have to be quick and, and prompt and make it a quick show because at this rate, the three of us are going to start getting interviews for head coaching jobs in the NFL. They are <laughs> dropping like flies over there. There's like no one left. On that radar. <laughs> so there's currently nine free vacancies with uh, with the big news. I'm sure we'll discuss a bit later on. But uh, yeah, divisional weekend. What a weekend. I said last week, I must, I must confess, I said last week when we were talking, Josh, that I didn't believe in upsets at this stage of the season. You know, if you're in the final eight, you're sort of, you deserve to be there. And, you know, that any team could beat any team. But actually, looking at the results, I think there was definitely a couple of upsets in there. <laughs> definitely. Just a tad. Yeah, like we say, it certainly ruined a few brackets. Yeah, just in terms of the head coaches, we'll, we will come on to it towards the end. But uh, your little feature, Steve, of Steve's hot seat that we brought in towards the back end of the season, we'll have to do a hot bench next year. Nine NFL coaches. It's like nearly a third of the league is after a new head coach. It's incredible. It- it's incredible, and and this is not doesn't look like a great year to be looking for a head coach as well. It doesn't look mm. like there's many great candidates out there, and yet there's nine teams looking for yeah. one. There's going to be some interesting hires, I reckon. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Very strange that none have been confirmed yet as well. But yeah, we'll touch yeah. on that a little bit later. Let's get into the games, though, fellas. Then let's let's do them as you did last week. Let's do them chronologically. Let's go back to Saturday night. The Bengals on the road at Tennessee. Um, the Bengals getting it done on a last-second Evan McPherson field goal. Boy, that was a good draft pick, wasn't it? That was a good draft pick. For all the ridicule they got back in back in the draft, it's turned out to be a belting draft pick. Uh, 1916, the final. Defence is on top in this one, though, boys. Um, Steve, I think in terms of this one, I was watching it, and I've got to be honest, I thought by about 10.30 UK time that neither quarterback had actually come out of this game alive. There just seemed to be more sacks than anything else. So defences really did dominate this one, didn't they? Yeah, Joe Burrow was sacked nine times, which I believe is a new NFL record for the playoffs. 
Um, yeah. which, I mean, nine sacks is a lot of sacks. Um, it's surprising he's still upright and still still walking by the end of it. Um, you had that with the Tannehill's one, and that's double-figure sacks for the game. Um, unbelievable. But we spoke last week about how, you know, this this the, the return of Derrick Henry was perhaps a bit of a sort of smokescreen, and actually, you know, the, the, the real issue could be Tennessee's passing game and there we and you know lo and behold it, it came to fruition like Ryan Tannehill only threw for 220 yards you know three picks uh, he had a QBR on ESPN of 10.4 uh, <laughs> which is absolutely <laughs> dreadful um they actually had 140 rushing team. yards yeah exactly they had 140 rushing yards so the rushing game wasn't a problem it was that it was their the quarterback and you've got to be thinking after this that that Tennessee is going to be looking looking in the market for a quarterback uh in the offseason because I think now after the last certainly the last two years when they've gone out with a whimper in the playoffs you just have to think that Ryan Tannehill is just not it you know he's had a bit of a revival he's certainly not the Ryan Tannehill of Miami but he's just not quite it he's just not quite enough to get them over the line and I think there's a lot of quarterbacks like that in the in the uh NFL at the moment where they're good but they're not good enough you know when you're having to compete with the likes of you know Brady and Rogers who obviously are going to be gone soon but then you know guys are coming through like Mahomes and Josh Allen and and others then having someone like Tannehill is just not quite enough but um props to the Bengals what a performance again yeah no absolutely it's um the 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 fairy tale continues let's continue the talk on ryan Tannehill. um we've said all season long and admittedly at times he's lost his weapons you know he's played multiple games without aj brown without julio jones who let's be honest that's been a bit of a flop in terms of a free agent signing certainly hasn't had the impact that they were hoping that it would have you said there they'll look to move on and look I'm sure as with a number of teams anybody will look to improve the quarterback position if they're in a situation where they've got one of these middle of the road kind of guys but you know let's be honest it's not happening this year it's a 57 and a half million cap hit number if they cut him um they're not going to swallow that it's 29 million in terms of dead cash but like I say it's the cap it's it's 57 million in terms of dead cap if they were to cut him so he's sticking around Josh I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to stick around when those are the kind of numbers you know potentially they might get out next year or the year after but for the time being they're going to have to come back with him um is it just a case of he's had a down year because of all that, you know, sort of, like I say, lack of consistency in the playmaking department, or is actually this now just going to turn around and actually bite them in the backside as a pretty poor contract that they handed out off the back of what had been a fairly decent um, run of performances after his initial joining of the team? Well, you look at it and you think that, you know, it, it was a bit of a risk, but and they have had some reward out of it. You know, let's not forget that the Titans were the number one seed this season. How? I seriously don't know. And I think that it's going to be something of which Titans fans will be able to tell their grandkids that they were alive when they somehow stole the number one pick. I mean, sorry, the number one seed. But, um, you know, he was able to do it and without a lot of his weapons. And also he's stood running back. So there has to be something said for him but he does seem to bottle it against the bigger teams you look at the passer ratings against the good teams that he's faced this season so for example the Bengals on Saturday night he was at 66.7 this being the passer rating not the ESPN QBR Um, against the Steelers another good defense 68.9 Patriots 60.2 
He had a he had a low against the Texans of fifty eight point four against the Texans for crying out loud. Um, you know, you go back to the Cardinals week one, seventy four point nine, Bills seventy point five. You know, it's the showing that against average to poor teams, he does incredibly well. And that means that against those teams you're gonna get wins. Whereas against anyone that's gonna put up a challenge he's going to have to rely on those around him to get him through it. And that's something of which we saw on Saturday night where, to be honest, the Titans should have won this game. You look at the way in which it fell, the Bengals were, you know, really had to scrap to get back into this. And, you know, all, all, all the best to them because if you give something to the Bengals, they're going to take it. That's the way in which this team seems to be at the moment. You give the Bengals any sort of opportunity, they will take it. But Tannehill had the game in his hands and he threw it away. And the Titans defense doesn't deserve it. Absolutely not. Not after um, not after the other night. But Tannehill is good enough to be the QB one. He just there needs to be something to stop him from throwing it away against good teams. Yeah, no, like you say, on another night, it could have been a totally different story. The um, the sort of third pick that Tannehill threw, um, you know, Tennessee driving, you know, we were talking in the WhatsApp group chat thinking, oh, here comes a, a game-winning field goal attempt. Little did we know that obviously there'd be another turnover and obviously the field goal attempt would end up being that of Evan McPherson. In terms of the Bengals and Steve, let's, let's flip it over and talk about them. I don't think the defence is gaining enough credit for all of the headlines that Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow attract. I think the defence has really stepped up. You know, they limited the Raiders last week to, what was it, 16 points as well? Um, You know, it was certainly a low number and obviously 16 that they limited Tennessee to. This defence has really turned up. Um, you know, didn't necessarily have the the same sort of sack production as as obviously what the Titans did on the weekend. But you know, it seemed as though Tannehill was confused a lot of the time. He was rushed a lot of the time, um, and they've got some real playmakers. Trey Hendrickson on that line coming back as well was it was a huge boost for them, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think it's it's sort of widely accepted that that Cincinnati's strength is in their secondary rather than perhaps their line without certainly with the injuries they've had. Um, you know, you look across that secondary, guys like Jesse Bates, you know, Logan Wilson, Trey Flowers are all exceptional players. And I, I think you're right. You know, the the Bengals defense is not getting enough praise because I think when you when you think of Cincinnati, you immediately you think of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. You know, this LSU connection that they've sort of brought into the into the big leagues and and seem to have just, just carried on where they left off. Uh, you know, a year prior. So um, you're right. I think this Bengals defense. Um, is is performing at uh, an extremely high level, um, and I think there's there's an argument to be to be made that at the moment it might be of the final four, it might be the best one of the four. Um, it's, it's certainly up there, and and you know the Bengals will be licking their lips at the, the prospect of playing Kansas City, a team that they beat like three weeks ago. So you know that they're, they're, they're going into this game full of confidence and and, and full of beans, and you know the I love. Joe Burrow's confidence, like he's so young and he's so sort of fresh in the game, and, and especially that injury he had at the end of last season, he's already been rocked. Yet he's so confident, and I love that that he takes that into a game, and that must be infectious in the dressing room. You know that he must carry that through the players and through the through the guys he's playing with, and he just knows how to lead a team. He's a he's a natural leader. 
Um, and this Bengals team is, is I think, is prime for success. I, I hope it isn't just a flash in the pan for them because I think there's obviously been questions asked in seasons in the last few seasons of Zach Taylor and whether or not he was good enough as a head coach. And I think had this season have not gone the way it had, I think he could have been out the door. You know, they lose a couple of a couple of regular season games, go a different way, and I think you could be looking at a very, very different off-season for Cincinnati. Um but instead, they're going from having what the the fifth overall pick in the draft to probably like the twenty ninth or you know thirtieth <laughs> something like that. What a turnaround! Sort of, you know, worst to first sort of sort of candidates, and and what a turnaround! And and this team's only going to get better uh, as it uh, you know as it goes on. And yeah, um, nice little stat for you to come here. You go, are you ready? This week's stat uh, is that Joe Burrow has won more playoff games in eight days than Dak Prescott has in six years. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that one. That's good. Um, yeah, let, let's put. Let, I don't. I don't want to rain on this parade because look, I've, I've said this a couple of times. You know, I, we've got plenty of Bengals fans in our group, and I'm not one of these Browns fans that just wants to bash the Bengals far from it. You know, hopefully they can they can go on and do it, and like I say, genuinely for the lads in the group. You know, I've I've, I've said that too, and that's what I'd like them to go and do. Cautionary tale, though, Josh, and I've said this on um, a podcast across the pond with a, a big Cincinnati fan. This time last year, we were talking about a team in a similar position, weren't we? That were probably sort of, you know, punching above the weight, got to the playoffs, everything was in front of them. They were only going to get better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We know where that ended up. So, you know, Cincinnati, they've got to go and win this now, haven't they? Steve's just said they've beaten Kansas City in the last few weeks. They will never, ever have a better chance. It was 31 years since their last playoff win. Don't go into this game on Sunday expecting that you'll just get here next year if you don't do the business this week. They should be absolutely all into it now, shouldn't they? They really should. They really should because of a number of things. Like I say, the Bengals have been really good at taking what's been given to them and using the talent that they have in order to get the wins to get them where they need to be. You know, you look at you look at the season entire and you know it's it's prime for the Bengals to do it now. They've had one of the least injured rosters throughout the entire season. They've had one of the best schedules in terms of DVOA. They, you know, you've had two playoff games. First of all, the playoff games of which they had schedule-wise, you know, you look at them on paper and you think, bloody hell, the Bengals have got it nice here. But, you know, I've been saying for ages that the Titans have been the fake number one seed, etc. But not only that, but then also you get QBs practically throwing it away instead of doing what they should be doing in playoff games as well. You know, that's partly secondary doing their magic and partly you just wouldn't see good playoff teams doing that down the stretch. So what do you do now? Well, you definitely don't rest on your laurels. You punch it in. Like you both have said, they've beaten the Chiefs already once. So go and do it at Arrowhead. They they can definitely put up points. You can definitely turn it into a uh, into a pissing contest in terms of um, putting up points, and I think that the Chiefs' defense is one of those of which you can go and put up thirty plus points and have a right go. You know, they they Chiefs are one of these that will let you do it because they'll score themselves, and Cincinnati will be happy with that. So go do it now, and then you're playing either the 49ers or the Rams. You know, the Rams. What the Rams do best is sack a quarterback. Joe Burrow doesn't seem to care. He just seems to invite sacks. <laughs> you know, he's there. You know, of those nine sacks, I would say that he was responsible for seven of them. So he doesn't seem to be bothered about getting sacked. He just seems to be like, eh, sod it. Jamar Chase is down there somewhere. 
and he'll invite that pressure to allow the wide receivers that time. And also he's starting to learn he has that outlet in Azuma as well. You know, the the Bengals are not a bad, are not a bad pick for the Super Bowl at this point. They're really not, but I would do it now because next year it's going to be a hell of a lot harder. You know, they'll add pieces. Of course they will, and they'll add more talent. But, hey, Sean, you you can say right here, we've had, we added more talent. Look where that got us. Nowhere. Their schedule will get harder next year. They will have more injuries next year. Other things happen. Life happens. The NFL is incredibly backwards and forwards. So, yeah, cautionary tale, punch it in now because they can do it now. And with that, I will relinquish the remainder of my time. I think I'd just quickly say as well, like I think of the remaining three opponents for the Bengals, I think this is the toughest game. If they can overcome the Chiefs, and, and this, yeah, is absolutely not disres- this is no disrespect to the Rams or the 49ers, but I think the Chiefs is the hardest game. If they can get to the ball game, and obviously there's no easy games in the NFL. I'm not saying it's going to be a walkover in the Super Bowl, but if they can get there... You know, I think the Rams or the 49ers will be a, will be an easier test for the Bengals than the Chiefs will. So I think there's a, there's so much riding. Obviously, there's so much riding on this game um, on Sunday, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, a, a great rematch of a, of an already fantastic game not not a month ago. I've got a great stat. I've got a great stat. Something which I think Steve would be proud of. So the Bengals have been to the Super Bowl just twice. Does anyone want to tell me as to who the opponents were for those Super Bowls? Anyone want to have a guess? The 49ers? The 49ers both times, and they lost to the 49ers both times. The 49ers are only one game away. The Bengals are only one game away. Yeah, Britain in the stars. Let's move to the 49ers. That's a very nice segue you've given me there. Let's move to that game. That was the second one Saturday night. Early hours of Sunday morning, and it started off wonderfully for Green Bay, didn't it? A nice opening drive. And then the offense kind of disappeared for the remainder of it, allowed the 49ers to make the fourth quarter comeback. Um, and ultimately, the 49ers win this one 13-10 again on a walk-off field goal, this time by Robbie Gould, who does nothing but score field goals in the postseason still never missed in the postseason that is an incredible record isn't it it's one of those you just hope it never ends but uh we'll see if it does this weekend upcoming but um like say steve green bay it was all there in front of them through lambo again supposedly the cold weather was going to have an impact aaron Rodgers was going to you know come and do this that and the other again and here we are yet again talking about another abject failure let's be honest an abject failure when it came to the postseason, Aaron Rodgers must be so fed up because he's provided that franchise with three 13 win regular seasons in a row and they still can't make it to the ball game. They haven't had any Super Bowl appearances in the last three years. And, you know, he was he was not not great on Saturday night. You know, there's no getting there's no escaping that he did not have a great game, certainly by his standards, because they're so high. The stat sheet is not is not outrageous. Like it's not dreadful. It's certainly not Tannehill's stat sheet, um, or Garoppolo's for that matter. Um, you know, but it's 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 not Aaron Rodgers standard. And he relied so much on Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. The rest of the receivers only had one target each, and them two had 10 and 11, respectively. Like, he was so reliant on those. And, and after that first after that first um, quarter, just they got nothing going, absolutely nothing. 
Um, and, and, you know, you can't score 10 points in any game, let alone the playoffs, and expect to win the game. No matter how well your defence plays, you've got to be scoring more than 10 points, especially if you're Aaron Rodgers. Um, and, you know, they'll point to, you know, a lot of people have been very quick to point to um, things like the, the special teams. Their special teams unit is the it was the worst in the league this year, the, the dead last worst in the league. And it's cost them the game. It has cost them the game. But I, I'm, relic- I'm sort of reluctant to pin it on the special teams when Aaron Rodgers had, uh, you know, 29 attempts with the ball and they had 20 rushes and they scored 10 points you know it's it, you can't blame it on those special teams on one moment when you have that many attempts to try and score points um i think th- i think this is the end for him i don't think he comes back i think he's had enough um i think well, i'm sure we'll come on to you know what what we think is going to happen with aaron Rodgers, but um yeah, another disappointment in Green Bay. Um, another season gone by where they've been completely dominant in the regular season. You know, if you if you did, went by regular season rankings, the Green Bay Packers would have walked to the Super Bowl. They were so good in every single game they needed to be good in. Um, and the, yet again, undefeated at home all season, eight and zero all season at home, and yet the San Francisco 49ers, the the hot weather team, that have got a so called dreadful quarterback coming to town and roll them over thirteen ten. Like what? I don't know where they go from here. There's going to be some. I think there's going to be some big changes in Green Bay. And how can you have thirty nine wins across three seasons and absolutely nothing to show for it? <laughs> nothing. I'd like to just rephrase Steve's opening remarks there, just just slightly. I think that you got things just the wrong way around. Green Bay must be so annoyed that Aaron Rodgers seems to have once again not shown up in a big postseason game. I see it every year. Every year at this point, Aaron Rodgers seems to throw away. He, he has he has it in his hands in order to actually win win his way to a Super Bowl, and he just seems to throw it away. We saw it against Tampa Bay last year. I swear I see it practically every year. You know, you look at you look at the stats, Aaron Rodgers with a 225-yard throwing game, only throwing about 66% completion rate. You know, I can't blame the weather, because Aaron Rodgers plays in this weather constantly. I can't really blame the receivers, because he only ever targeted Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams, you know, Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis, he's been throwing to with relative ease. It just seems to be that for whatever reason, and I don't know what to pin it down on, you know, he just didn't seem to get going. And yeah, momentum gets killed by special teams and special teams definitely cause for the points to go San Francisco's way. But, you know, only scoring 10 points against the 49ers it almost seems like he took early retirement. I don't... If that is how Aaron Rodgers goes out, then it's with a real whimper. And I do think it's on his shoulders. Yeah, look, there's certainly blame to go around, isn't there? Like you say, I think the, the special teams gives a nice distraction from what the real issues were. You've only got to look at the drive chart in terms of what Green Bay put together. And like I said, it started well, didn't it, with a touchdown on the opening drive. They were moving the ball on the second drive before the Mercedes-Lewis fumble. But then they go punt, 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 block field goal, punt, field goal, blocked punt, punt. Absolutely horrendous. And included in that a four, sorry, five, three and ounce. Absolutely horrendous. Really was a really poor, poor showing. Um, look, 
we'll get into it in depth, I suppose, in the off-season. But very quickly, we talk about it all the time, it seems, when it rolls round to draft time. Whether whether Rogers comes back or not, we will wait and see. But we said in the off-season this year, and you know, it was certainly questioned last year when they wasted that pick. And I don't care what anybody says, they wasted that pick on Jordan Love. It will never, ever work out. I will be gobsmacked if Jordan loves the quarterback ever for the Green Bay Packers, but we will wait and see if it does or doesn't happen. That's a shame. I stashed him in the Dynasty League. <laughs> yeah, thinking maybe, just maybe, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah. D- does there need to be some changes in terms of that front office? Because there surely needs to be more reliance in terms of the skill positions. You know, you, you both mentioned it there. You've only got to look at the stat sheet from Saturday evening. You know, Aaron Jones had 10 targets in the passing game. Devontae Adams had 11 targets. The rest of the team between them, outside of those two players, only only one other player registered yardage in the passing game. And that was a one catch for six yards from Alan Lazard. You just can't win football games like that. We joke that the Chiefs have got two options in Hill and Kelsey, but they they obviously spread the ball around. Those two are the ones that get the bulk of it, but they spread the ball around. With this Green Bay team, you literally just double those two, and they've got no options, have they? I say no to that. They have three 13-win seasons in a row. What the hell is the GM supposed to do when you've got results like that? You know, three 13-win seasons, and it's not like Rodgers hasn't been able to share the ball around this year. You look at who he throws to with ease. It's not just Devontae Adams and um, and Aaron Jones, but also Alan Lazard's had a great season. Van Valdez Scantling's had a great season this year, really, by all accounts. There are much worse receiving cores in this league that do, you know, that, that get by. You know, I don't think that you... I think that if you have a superstar QB being paid like a superstar QB, you're going to end up falling at some point and having to elevate players and that's what he's done if Rogers now steps away and then you're paying someone a lot less maybe you're able to stack it more and maybe they're waiting for that log jam to actually happen but I think that they've done amazingly and look at the record that proves it go on Steve I think I think you're you're right, Josh. I think that you'd point to the regular season and say, well, it, it, this is uncharacteristic of Rogers. He doesn't usually just concentrate. You know, we all talk about how much he loves Devontae Adams and the, the chemistry they, those guys have is obviously exceptional. But normally he would be throwing to Lazard and Valdez Scantling and Mercedes Lewis and even Randall Cobb would get a couple of targets a game and it just didn't happen on Saturday night. And it's very uncharacteristic of of Rogers to do that. And and you're right. You know, they they he has to take some blame himself and. This is a feature of Green Bay, and this is why they haven't won a Super Bowl in eleven years or whatever it is. Um, and and I don't know where he goes from here, but I actually think the Green Bay front office has done quite a good job over the last few years. You know, they 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 caved to Rogers' demands, and then they brought in Randall Cobb at the at the, at the request of Aaron Rodgers. What's that done? Nothing. You know, that's done that's done nothing. And Cobb will probably be out of the building this year with Rogers, I I imagine. Um, the pick in AJ Dillon, he's a great pickup. I think he's got a bright future in Green Bay. They do have a good receiving core. They've got, they've also got excellent players around the the the, the rest of the team. Some of the defensive players like J.I. Alexander and Zadarius Smith, you know, they've got some great talent around the team. And I think they've picked up some good players over the years. But I think because Rogers loves to sort of throw his toys out of the pram every now and again. It, it, it makes it seem like they don't have a good team and they don't have good receivers. Whereas actually, if you plugged in most 
NFL quarterbacks into that receiving core, they'd be they'd be you know really damn pleased. I think they could use a, like a, a dominant tight end. You look at the opposite team, mm. San Francisco. George Kittle was the leading receiver, and that yeah, guy's a monster. They don't really have one, do they? Yeah, and I think they could use a real dominant tight end. I think that's probably one of the positions they'll be looking at in the off season. Um, but apart from that, I, you can't really you know point to any other problems that they have. And I, you know I yeah. think there's there's a there's a common denominator here, and I think we all know what it is. Exactly. I think, sorry, Sean, just to sort of close it out, I think that Gudekunst and the and the front office of the Packers, far too much is made of the Jordan Love pick. Yes, it was a bust, but the front office should not be based on one pick alone. They just try to do what Packers are known to do, which is but when it eventually comes round that they have to pass the torch, they wanted someone in place to do it. They picked wrong. It was one pick. Everything else has been on point, to be quite honest. Yeah, I think it's a debate we'll come back to, fellas, and I'm looking forward to getting into it because I think the stats will probably surprise you a little bit. If I just look on the season, you've said about this fantastic receiving core. Devontae Adams, 123 receptions. Aaron Jones had 52 on the season. All of these wonderful second and third receivers that you've talked about. Alan Lazard, 40 catches on the year. Randall Cobb, 28 catches on the year. MVS, 26 on the year. I don't think that ball's been spread around as much as you would probably think that it has been. I think it's very yeah, much a case spread of... spread about enough. I think, no, it's, it's not been spread about. I think it's, it's a case of 12 and 17. And, um, you know, unfortunately, if the rebuild is going to happen, it's probably going to happen without those. Anyway, let's, let's talk about the team that actually won the game. Let's talk about San Francisco because they are a hot team right now. They've got one of the hottest players in the league in Jimmy Garoppolo. Sorry, Debo Samuel, of course. Um, yeah, look, we joke about it. They're winning despite Jimmy Garoppolo, aren't they? You mentioned earlier, Steve, his stat line. Um, look, it could have been a little bit better. I think he was a little unfortunate with a few things early on in the game, which obviously... Um, don't show up in the stat sheet, but his overall stat line is, you know, pretty poor for a team that's just won a playoff game, isn't it? Eleven of nineteen um, for a hundred and thirty-one yards. For uh, no touchdowns and, and a terrible interception. But you know, sometimes an interception, you should have a separate column for terrible interception, shouldn't you? Do you know these ones that like bounce <laughs> off a receiver's arse? A or, grade two interception. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, this was a pretty poor interception. And we joke about it, but the problem that, that Garoppolo seemingly has is when he needs to do something, he seems to be able to find a way to do it which is just absolutely bizarre when he needs to make a big third down throw or a throw down the stretch. We've talked about it all year. He seems to come alive in the big pressure moments. Um, but what what was your assessment of this San Francisco team? Obviously, defensively, they played very well. We've talked about the fact that the Packers were limited to just 10 points. Um, but what's your assessment overall of the team? I think this game was less far, far less of an advert for Jimmy G and actually an advert for Kyle Shanahan. Like, this is a this is a perfect example of how Shanahan schemes games and how he is able to work wonders to beat teams that are far better than San Francisco. Like you look at this on paper, and you said it last week, Josh, like there is no way that the 49ers should have won this game. Like if, if Rogers even plays a little bit better than he did, the 
Green Bay walk away with this. They put two more touchdowns on the board, and this is an easy win for Green Bay. But yet somehow the 49ers have, have, have come away with it. And I think there has to be a lot of props. You mentioned there, Sean, that their, their defense has played well. I think you've got to give a lot of props to D'Amico Ryans, who's come in, is their defensive coordinator, taken over from Robert Sala, um, is not far away, uh, removed from being a player himself. And it's just done an incredible job with that defense. That San Francisco defense is legit. Um, they are a really good unit. They've got good players all over the pitch, all over the field that, that make plays regularly. Um, and that's what's bailed them out of this game. I think Jimmy G is is a is a ticking time bomb. They obviously traded the farm to get up to, to take Trey Lance and it will be Lance season sooner or later. You can't trade away that many picks and not play him. You just can't. It's not like a Jordan Love situation where, you, yeah, you've spent one pick on him, but he can sit and learn behind one of the best to ever play the game. This is a, you've traded away the entire farm until about 2034 or whatever it is. Like, you need to be playing this guy that you've picked. I get, I get give, redshirting him for one year. I get that. But after this season, you've really got to be thinking that Lance comes in. Um, if if the 49ers get to the Super Bowl, you've I, I don't know if perhaps since since Nick Foles has there ever been a quarterback that you would think is less deserving of being in a Super Bowl, and that might be harsh on Jimmy G, but every time he steps on the field, we're left just sort of like, how has he come away with the W in this game? And and I think that you know you have to point to his skill position players and how well some of those are playing. Like George Kittle is an obvious monster. He is always playing. Um, you know, making plays and his ability to to get yards after the catch is insane. He's a yak monster. Um, Debo Samuel, we talked about him last week. Josh, he's he's a, a great player, so fun to watch. Is great in both the receiving and the rushing game. Um, and Elijah Mitchell has come along so well. You know, I think he was undrafted, and he's come along to be a real key component of this of this San Francisco offense. Um, but I think perhaps one of, the, one of the main reasons that they are doing so well is their line. You know, Trent Williams yeah. is, an, is an absolute superstar. Um, and they've got so many key players across that line that are, you know, giving him time to then at least do something with the ball. So, um, yeah, they, they nullified really that. I know he was sacked four times, but really that line played really well and sort of nullified that Green Bay pass rush. And that's how they won the game. It'd be really interesting to see how they cope with San Francisco, with, sorry, LA. Uh, next week, but yeah, I think that's where the, the sort of the game was won for San Francisco. Yeah, Josh, if you'd have said to me before this one kicked off that Debo would be limited to 83 all-purpose yards, I didn't think there was a way that San Francisco would win it. Um, yeah, we, we've touched on it when we talked about Green Bay. Obviously, you know, this one, again, was in Green Bay's grasp, essentially. You know, obviously not ideal punting from deep in your own um, territory, but obviously that was the, the pivotal game-changing play, wasn't it? The sort of block punt. Um, it was just a bizarre thing as well when it happened, wasn't it? It was like everybody on the field just went into like slow motion. It was almost like somebody had paused the video recorder and everybody was just waiting around for something to happen until somebody realised that the ball was actually loose. And uh, good old Tala Noah Hufanga. That, that was everybody's pick for first 49ers touchdown scorer, wasn't it? Yeah, he was the guy that, uh, that gobbled it up. Yeah, he was the uh, f- he was the four to one favourite. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but yeah, look, special teams are important, aren't they? And I talked about Robbie Gold. We talked about Evan McPherson earlier. Um, you know, the, it was a good weekend for kickers, wasn't it, mate? Yeah, just a bit. Um, it, it seemed to be if you could uh, if you could kick a ball fifty yards, then you've probably put your team through to the uh, championship round of of the NFL. Um, yeah, to 
just to touch on to Steve's point, you know, the the 49ers, they, they, they did enough. They've got players that can, you know, that that are good when called upon. It, this was definitely a game for the for the uh, defense and the offensive line. Realistically, they were given a free space, weren't they, with this game? Um, you know, realistically, the offense scores six points. If you're telling me that the offense scores six points and they go through, then that's telling me that either the defense has shown up, the special teams have shown up, or no one on the other side has shown up. So I, I actually don't think that we could even talk for 49ers at all on this game in any kind of light, really, and just see what they do against the Rams because I saw nothing on Saturday night, really. Yeah, no, each game is each game is different, isn't it? Steve, do you want to make a closing point before was, we move on to Sunday? Just going to say, yeah, it's it's so interesting, isn't there? It seems like there's quite a few teams around the league this year that are just a quarterback away. There's a lot of a lot of sort of offenses where if you just plug even just a slightly better quarterback in, they do so much better. Like imagine, you know, San Francisco would be better with even like a Derek Carr, you know, someone who's just even like remotely consistent and can at least put up some numbers. Like that San Francisco team would be even better than they're, than they're being dragged through by their defense. So yeah, it feels like there's a lot of teams around the league like that. Yeah. No, completely, completely agree. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That you know, you you'll get Raiders fans that tell you they want to move on from Derek Carr, and you do sort of think, well, you know, your alternative might not be an awful lot better. So uh, we'll wait and see how the uh, quarterback carousel plays out as we get towards free agency. They might be looking for a new quarterback in Tampa Bay. Have we eventually seen the final game of Tom Brady's career? We will wait and see. Let's be honest, we were all sitting there, weren't we, thinking, here we go again. Here we go again. I actually turned around to the missus at uh, 27-3 and said, look, I said, I want to say this game's over, but if anybody can, um, and he nearly did, didn't he? Um, when I say he, obviously, um, how much influence he had, we will debate. Because um, I think he's actually started to look his age a little bit in some aspects, despite his stellar season. But let's talk about the game itself. Um, look, it was a perfect first half for the Rams, wasn't it? Perfect up until around about the last 13 seconds of the half when uh, Cam Akers decided to fumble the ball for the first time in the game. Um, but, you know, even with that said, 20 points to three up at halftime, Josh, you would have absolutely been over the moon as a Rams fan at that point. Like you say, a little bit of a disappointment to go into the locker room without adding even further points to that after an interception of Brady after the two-minute warning. But then they come out and open up the third quarter with another lovely drive down the field to go 27-3 up and... It very much felt like cruise control until um, until <laughs> until they started to just put the ball on the floor. Yeah, this this has to be one of the weirdest games going, and something of which I thought of until until the end of this game. I'd say maybe just a little bit before the end of this game is that I found the general quality of the offensive play in the divisional round quite poor up until towards the end of this game. Uh, simply because of the amount of errors and mistakes that there were in there. Tampa Bay just could not get firing in that first half. You know, the Rams did just about enough, but it's not like they were firing on all cylinders even. They were just able to do enough to get to the red zone and then, you know, either punch it in or put in a field goal. You know, realistically, like you say, they could have been more than 20 up and probably should have been. Meanwhile, Tampa were lucky to get the three that they did. If we're quite honest, Tampa were poor. Uh, definitely a game of two halves. I I turned it off for a couple of minutes. I have to admit, at twenty-seven three, I thought there's no way that Tampa 
even look like they're going to get more than the three that they have. And then they started putting it on the floor, like you say, and we had the most ridiculous. I, I don't have the run of drives in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it went back and forth about four or five times in the space of about five minutes. It was ridiculous. Um, it gave Tampa what they needed to get some momentum. The Rams seem to be a one-half team at the moment. I don't know if that's unfair to say. They seem to do. They seem to get on a run and really build on momentum, and then they'll just stop. I don't know if it's a case of they're not able to put in four quarters. I don't know if it's a case of they're happy to let momentum ride. But there's definitely something that's stopping them from putting in a complete performance, but they're able to do just enough in the end. Um, as to whether or not it is Brady's final hurrah, there were rumours about it before the start, weren't there, from Ian Rappaport. He uh, put out the rumour saying that this could well be the uh, the last time he plays a home game for example, and if if he didn't fight back, if he didn't fight back and get it back to something respectable, I would have said that he would probably do another year because he would not want to go out like that, you know, because that was complete humiliation at one point. I mean, he practically did a European sucker dive style where he's like, look at my flipping bleeding lip. Um you know, as a way of saying he got knocked on the head and it was practically nothing, you know, to come away from that game at that point, I, I think he would have had to have put himself for another year, but to fight back the way that he did, I'm just trying to find the stat line now, you know, 30 from 54 for three, two, nine, one and one. It's not a great Brady stat line, but it is probably as bad as he would want it to be, to be able to walk away respectably. And I think that he's, career deserves that I wouldn't want him to go down the Roethlisberger route yeah but we can uh, we can get into Tom Brady again in the off season we'll wait and see what he does indeed decide to do let's talk about the quarterback on the other side though Steve because there was a lot made in the off season about whether this was the trade that was going to get the Rams over the top they'd had some decent performances out of Jared Goff you know whatever you think of him as a quarterback you know they went to a Super Bowl under Jared Goff Let's make no bones about it. Matthew Stafford was brought in to deliver a Super Bowl victory. And when it mattered most, he absolutely put the team on his back. If anything, you know, really, they went away from what was working well. And because they had such a big lead, I mean, Cam Akers, they, they rushed 24 times with Cam Akers for 48 yards. The ground game was producing nothing. It was a really poorly coached second half from Sean McVeigh. If they'd have carried on throwing the ball and had the success that they had in the first half, I'm sure he would have been absolutely fine. But obviously, when it mattered, right at the end with those, you know, what was it, 30-odd seconds left or whatever it was after Leonard Fournette had uh, tied the game up from uh, a 24-point deficit, two huge plays to Cooper Cup, wasn't it, mate? And they've been doing it all year. Yeah, and and it's strange that, that they went down this route with all of that running attack, especially once Akers fumbled as well, because the Eagles proved the week before that this Tampa Bay rush defense is really good, like really, really good. And it's difficult to rush on them. And, I, you know, I get it. You want to be the coach that can prove it wrong and, and find the holes. But, you know, this uh, the, the Rams rushing attack is not amazing. You know, Cam Akers is coming off an awful injury. You know, I know he's back and healthy now, but he's still coming off that injury back in July their rushing attack is is not as good as philadelphia's and they just it didn't work and they <clears throat> it surprises me that they kept doing that especially when you've got the quality of receivers that you do 
Cooper Cup is outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. I think he is making one of the best um, shouts for a non-quarterback to get MVP in a long time. But it won't happen. It'll be a quarterback. It'll probably be Aaron Rodgers. But he's making a, you know, a, a damn good effort to get it him because get it given to him because he was outstanding again in this game and I think the, the the throw that Stafford made right at the death to put them in position to to um, spike the ball and get the field goal with three seconds remaining that throw I don't think Goff makes that it's such a good throw and obviously I know it's a busted coverage I know he's wide open downfield because the defense had some miscommunication or something like that but if you watch Stafford he's waiting and waiting and waiting for for cup to come open and then all of a sudden there's a there's a defender in his face so he as soon as he releases the ball he gets taken out i just don't think goff makes that throw so i think there are there's obviously other far more other reasons as to why stafford is an upgrade on goff and he's won two playoff games immediately it's not like he's taken a year to sort of get used to playoffs and he's had a horrible loss you know there's still there's still more games to play, but he straight away won two playoff games, um, two difficult ones as well. It, you know, the, the the defending champs are out. Um, and I saw an incredible stat earlier, going back to Tom Brady briefly, that um, in for 54 years in the NFL, the um, leading passing yards quarterback has not won the Super Bowl that year. Is because it was Tom Brady this season, and it has now not happened for 54 years which is an incredible stat, really. Mm. And also, Tom Brady has been the leading passing quarterback in the NFL four times in his career, and he's yet and he's won seven rings, and yet none of them have happened in the same season. How strange <laughs> is that? What what a yeah. weird stat that is. So, yeah, I, I think this, um, you know, the, the, the Los Angeles defense gave Tom Brady a, a, a real torrid time of it. Von Miller had a really good sack at one point. Aaron, um, Aaron Donald was not leaving him alone at all. And when you've got weapons like that, you know, if they can disrupt the offense, then they're going to make a make a game of it. And yeah, I think this. you are right that this Rams offense was just rolling in the first half. And I don't know why they went away from that, especially after the after the fumble. Like, you just go keep what's... Like, this could have been out of sight. This could have been out of sight at halftime or in the third quarter. Um, but they let him come back into it. Um, but yeah, I think the Rams have, have proven now that they're not... You know, Matt Stafford wasn't a, wasn't a mistake. You know, they did well to get him out of Detroit, um, and he's and he's legit. And there was an interesting sort of debate going on in our group uh, last week before the game about whether or not Stafford's elite or not. And I think the word elite is an interesting one because I don't think you can you can quantify someone who's been in the NFL for 13 seasons, albeit all with Detroit, and has never been to the playoffs at all. You know, until now, as as elite. He's got to do more than that before he's considered elite. But I think he's closing in on it. And if he takes them to the Super Bowl this year, I think he's definitely in the conversation. Yeah, he said he didn't do his stock no harm at all, did he, this weekend? That's that's absolutely for sure. Those trades in season from the Rams really paying dividends as well. Um, you know, Von Miller's made a massive difference on that defence. It's You know, it's opened up things for Aaron Donald as well as giving them that uh, penetration off the edge and, and Odell Beckham you know certainly with the the injury to Robert Woods you know he's, he's probably played a bigger part than they anticipated he may have done when they initially swung that trade um, and to be fair you know he's getting you know more involved and, and looking better and better with each week that he plays in that offense so I think you know the Rams will be obviously very confident with potentially two um, sort of home games if you like they'll be in a similar situation one that's what Tampa were last year if they get to the 
Super Bowl. That'd be strange as well, wouldn't it? After it never happening in the first 54 years, if it happens in back-to-back Super Bowls. But there you go, these things do yeah. happen. And then but, you start um, betting, betting on Arizona then to do the, oh, to nah. do the triple. <laughs> nah, you're all right. I think I'll keep me. I think I'll keep my 50 pence. I think I'll be all right <laughs> on that one. Let's finish it off then, fellas, with the final game of the weekend, the one that everybody was waxing lyrical over. We said going into it, or you boys said going into it, I should say, last week on the pod, that it was the the one that certainly whetted the appetite the most. It's probably the one that delivered the most in terms of drama, certainly in terms of offence. You mentioned earlier, Josh, that you didn't think the offensive play was great, although those games were exciting in as much as they were close. You, you didn't think the quality was necessarily great. You surely couldn't complain about this one, mate, in terms of the quality of the offence on show. Oh, absolutely not. This was the game that I've been looking forward to. This would have been my Super Bowl. You know, if if we, we'd be allowed to have the AFC and the NFC come together, this would be the Super Bowl that NFL fans deserve, Chiefs and Bills. You know, this is going to be a fantastic matchup for donkey's years, I think. I think that this is going to be one of the great rivalries for a long time. And Mahomes and Allen definitely constitute a massive part of why it was, first of all, it was refreshing in terms of this weekend to see two fantastic quarterbacks go at it. I think that even on paper, we didn't have a a matchup quite like it. You know, you look at Burrow versus Tannehill and you think, uh, Tannehill, you think of Garoppolo versus Rogers and you think, uh, Garoppolo and then you think of Stafford and Brady and you think well maybe in a different time period you know this was definitely the elite matchup that we were looking for if we're going to use the word elite in the uh, right context and it was just incredibly exciting even before the fourth quarter antics it was just back and forth you couldn't predict it I'd say that both offenses and defenses did fantastically well it was incredibly close without either team running away with it score-wise and then everything just seemed to go to shit towards the end of which was great I think that there was wasn't there something like four touchdowns scored after the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter you know between that and the end of the game there was like four touchdowns or something stupid it was uh, and uh, two uh, two two-point conversion to boot so a hell of a lot going on incredibly fun neither team deserved to lose Personally, I would kick out the 49ers and put in uh, the Bills <laughs> as a as a wild card space um, because, you know, all this did to me was just whet my appetite to see the Bills back in action next season, realistically. You know, fair play to the Chiefs. I think that that versus Bengals is now going to be a great game, but the Bills didn't deserve to lose and it was just a really fun matchup. Yeah, let's touch on the Bills then, Steve, and then we'll then we'll flip the conversation over to the Chiefs a little bit later. On in terms of the Bills, Josh Allen, like you say, phenomenal game. Um, you know, he's stat line twenty seven of thirty seven, four touchdowns, um, eleven rushes for sixty eight yards. All four of those touchdowns to Gabriel Davis. I mean, what a performance! You love a stat. That's got to be that's got to be a playoff performance for the ages. I think he's the only man to ever get four receiving touchdowns in a playoff game, isn't he? Correct me if I'm wrong, but four for two hundred and one. What a performance from him! 
he was exceptional. Where did that come from? Where did that that is the performance that we've been waiting for from Stefan Diggs all season? And then Gabriel Davis comes out with it. Um, what a performance and just what a game, echoing Josh's comments. Like it's fantastic to watch two quarterbacks in the prime of their sort of young careers just flourish and just have an incredible game. This was a joy to watch. This was a if there was never an advert for the NFL, this game is it. It was yeah. so good. And and Josh Allen, you know, did everything. He left it all out there on the field. I don't think he could have done much more. Like he just happened to be playing against one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. And it's just, it was, it was such a good game. And and I, I almost feel sorry for the bills and for Josh Allen and for Sean McDermott and, and, and everyone I associate with Buffalo, because yet again, they got to Kansas city yet again, they fall short of the, of the ball game yet again, these things come back to haunt them. And it's, and it, it just makes you wonder if they're ever going to get over the hump. You know, I hope they're not one of those teams that go ten years with a with a an, an astonishingly good franchise quarterback with great weapons around him, with a great defense, with a great head coach, and they just don't ever get there. Um, I think this Buffalo team is really good, and it's a shame that they're out again. It would have been, I think, they deserve to go. But um, and I think that that sort of flips the conversation on its head because as much as we can wax lyrical about how great the game was and how good it was to see two quarterbacks playing at their absolute peak. At the end of the day, the Bills have fallen short again. And you you talked all season, Sean, about how their rushing attack, if they're gonna if they're gonna, you know, make a dent in, in any of these big teams, they've gotta have a rushing attack. Josh Allen had one rush for about I think was it about thirty yards or something like that, where he opened up the defense and, and just ran straight away. You take that out of it, they had about seventy yards combined from twenty-three other carries. Um, you know, and, and Devin Singletary only had 26 yards from 10 carries. Like, that's not enough. And I know we've we've talked about this Buffalo rushing game all season, but it just, then it's come back to bite them. It's come back to bite them because I don't think they could have done too much more in the air. You know, that the Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley had a pretty good game. Um, you know, the, uh, Stefan Diggs was quiet, but they couldn't really have done too much more through the air. And the rushing attack just, just sort of, it, it was left to sort of, um, uh, you know, left wondering. And I think, you know, you also have to look at the defense and say, well, you know, the defense has let 42 points go up. Um, but at the same time, when you're playing against Mahomes and, and Kelsey and Hill, and, you know, there's only so much you can do to, to prevent those. Um, but yeah, what a game. Um, interesting to see what direction Buffalo go in. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I, it's it's a shame. It's a shame, like you said, Josh. It's a shame this can't be the Super Bowl because boy, what a game it was! It would be such an advert. Yeah, look, it was a phenomenal game, and I think the thing is for me, look, that there are probably one or two quarterbacks in the league that they're not beaten until they're beaten. And Patrick Holmes, love him or loathe him, he falls very much into that category. To be fair, I didn't watch it live. I, I'm, I'm a lightweight. I couldn't. I couldn't do till two thirty three in the morning. Um, and obviously, knowing the result, it kind of takes some of the drama away. But even at thirteen seconds left, you sort of think he'll find something. With that being said, how on earth do you allow a free release off the line to Travis Kelsey, one of the most obvious targets in that situation, and you basically allow him to just run twenty yards downfield, unopposed, open? It was just. Yeah, that, that was criminal. That was yeah, criminal. Very, 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 very bizarre. And people get hung up on the most stupid of things. I've heard people say, why didn't they squib kick it? Well, if they squib kick it, they're just going <laughs> to 
down on the ball anyway. They're not going to run any exactly. time Exactly. It's, it's not going to take any time off. I did, oh. I did enjoy, enjoy that Twitter warrior moment of, of the whole sweep kicking thing. Yeah. And, here's the, and here's the ultimate irony before we talk specifically about the Chiefs. Everyone now moaning about the overtime rules. There was a team that proposed that they change the overtime rules two years ago. You know who that team was, boys? Yes, the Chiefs. Who's the Kansas the City Chiefs? They wanted however, to change the rule. They wanted however, to change the rule. The ones of which are talking about this in such a negative light now are now the Chiefs fans, which are going, ah, oh, you know, we've we've been able to do it this that, and the other. I I am a complete neutral in all on all this, and I know that the Browns would have voted it down on it, etc., and it wouldn't even have brought up. I do want these overtime rules changed. I really do. I get the whole fact that the defense is a part of the team too, but when you have such an offensive league now, it's always impossible to have that as a as an argument. You know, you've got two offensive stalwarts in the Chiefs and the Bills who are just going to score touchdowns for fun. Let them. Just let them. It would be such a fantastic for the team on yeah. it. But but we could we could debate this all night. We're not going to because we've already nearly done an hour. But where do you draw the line? So the Bills get the ball back. The Bills score a touchdown. Do you then say, well, if the Chiefs score one more, it's game over? Or do you say, no, well, no, no, fifteen-minute period, fifteen-minute period, <laughs> or what you do is is that you have it so that if let's say they score seven, you have to score at least seven back in order to keep it going. Or if you score eight, you win the game. Do that until the end of fifteen minutes. That's where I'd I put still, it at. I still prefer Steve's idea of all the defensive linemen having a field goal kickoff myself. I think that's the way. To I mean, that is a that is a thing too. But what I'm saying is, is that so, <laughs> Steve, for example, earlier, your point of the Bills just, you know, they they couldn't get over the line again. They weren't given the chance. I think uh, what's interesting, and this is the way I saw it, sort of proposed, is that just about every single other sport on the planet, if it goes to overtime. Both teams get a shot. Yeah. Both teams get a shot. If it, in soccer, if 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 it's a penalty shootout and it goes to sudden death, you go past the five penalties and it goes to sudden death. The first team taking the penalties doesn't win if they score. The other team yeah. gets a chance to take their penalty and answer. And I get that defense wins championships. I get that answer. But this is a game where there are three different teams on the field. There's a there's an offense, a defense, and the special teams. And if you're only letting the offense and the special teams go for one team, the defense for another team. That's not a true representation of the entire team of 53 on the roster. I think there should be a chance for them to answer. And it's just like sudden death, sudden death rules. You know, if you score a touchdown and then the other team got on the field and they are three and out or even a field goal, they've lost. They're out. So it would only continue if they match the score. And like you said, there's a time limit on it. And then it goes until one team wins. I just don't think it's necessarily 100% fair if... I'm not saying the coin flip decides games, but it just comes down to whoever wins the coin flip. Because if they get the first chance to do it and they march down the field and score a touchdown, game's over. And Josh Allen doesn't even get the ball in his hand. So Agreed. And also, I just want to point out, before I get the one or two cheese fans that definitely listen to this on my case, because I know it's going to happen, you get to have the last laugh anyway because you put forward the rule change, right? You have <laughs> absolutely played the system wonderfully here. We're just supporting what you said in 2019. Because that still ranged true, but you did what you had to do, so well done. I still think the rules are perfectly fine. I think you cover Travis Kelsey off the line and it doesn't even go to overtime, but there you go. That's just my opinion. Uh, but, but we'll debate it another we'll debate it another time, boys. We'll debate it another time. Right. Let's talk Chiefs then. Um look 
six weeks into this season, we didn't think they would be in this position. Now they're the undoubted favourites for the whole thing, aren't they? You know, we talked earlier in terms of the the four teams that are left. If you were putting them in ranking order, the Chiefs are certainly going to be the favourites. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're favourites with the bookmakers. Um, Mahomes is playing fantastically well. Kelsey and Hill, we know what they can do. You know, Tory killing this one 11 for 150 yards. Kelsey eight for ninety six, you know, and we we had this chat earlier about the the distribution of the ball in in um, the Packers game. You know, the, the ball went around to others in this one. Pringle, um, McKinnon, Michael Hardman getting involved. You know, there's, there's plenty of weapons to go around. Clyde Edwards there looked pretty good as well. This this team's looking really good all of a sudden. Question though, Josh is they played this game with the Bengals a few weeks ago, and Jamar Chase had about a thousand yards. Now, what do they do to stop that happening this time round? And particularly if Tyron Matthew is out with a concussion. You don't let Spags call your defence. <laughs> Honestly, if if Spagnola has the same game plan as he did a couple of weeks back, they will lose this game. Um, I think that the offence did what it had to do. This was all about the defence, just having the wrong game plan. I'm really hoping that he is taking a look at how other teams have dealt with the Bengals and seen as to where their pitfalls were, of which was not giving Jamar Chase enough credit. You know, you got to at least hang a safety over him, especially if Tyron Matthew can't play, because that is going to be a massive blow against an air raid offense like this. I know he likes to, um, I know he likes to bring pressure a lot, but you don't have to bring a lot of pressure against this Bengals O-line, and especially with how long, Burrow can spend on the ball if he's waiting for his receivers to make plays. That's how seven of nine sacks came about the other night. Burrow couldn't get a pass off because they're all in double coverage or just well covered and the four rushing get to him or the five rushing get to him. So realistically, I would take whatever the playbook was a few weeks back on the defense, chuck it in the bin and pick up a standard coverage play um, playbook because that's what you need against this team. You need to be able to give the receivers the respect they deserve and trust in your D-line to get to Burrow after about four seconds. That's the plan there. In terms of the offense, don't change a thing. They did incredibly well that day. This is all about the defense. Yeah, Steve, in terms of that matchup, then that's the one that's going to kick us off on um, Sunday afternoon. We've kind of alluded to it as we've been going through. Obviously, like I say, Chiefs are going to start as favourites. How do you see um, see the AFC Championship game shaping up? Well, just before we move on to that, just uh, Mahomes' performance in the in that game against Buffalo, um, I love that 13 seconds is now not enough time to just trust that Patrick Mahomes is not going to come back and win and win the game. I love that that's now a thing. And a great stat for you, 13 seconds is less time than Dak Prescott's run in the game that then ended <laughs> before, before they could... such an Eagles fan stat. I saw it on Twitter yesterday and I was like, that is fantastic because Dak Prescott's run lasted 14 seconds and yet somehow Pat Mahomes was given 13 seconds and I love that he did it. I love it. He's waited He's waited an hour and two minutes to get that one out, hasn't he? He's had that jotted dead on his notepad the entire time this podcast's been going. 
Superb, go. mate. Superb. That's three hits on deck today. That's three hits yeah. on deck. It's well, more than he's taken well, this weekend. Well, maybe if he won some playoff games, he wouldn't get so many hits. Um, but no, it, it, I think this is this is it's so fascinating, isn't it? That that we're getting a rematch of the uh, of a game that happened literally a, 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 about three or four weeks ago. Um, that night, uh, you are right. Uh, Jamar Chase was unstoppable, and I think if if he is indeed out, if um, Darren Matthew is indeed out, I don't know if he's going to make it through the concussion protocol in time. Um, that's going to be a massive loss to that Kansas City defense. Massive. Um, uh, you've got two two exceptionally good quarterbacks that are going to be going at it. Um, Kansas City's defense at the start of the season was alarming, but they've really come alive more. Um, in, in certainly in the last in the second half of the season and into the playoffs, and if they can hold Josh Allen and the Bills and and let Mahomes win the game, you would imagine they could do the same to the Bengals. But you know, if the Bengals have proven that they're no pushovers, you know, this is not a team to just cast aside. I don't think this is going to be an easy Chiefs win. Um, it's going to be difficult because it's in Arrowhead. You know, they like to create an atmosphere there. Um, it's going to be a, a, the toughest test for for Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and and, and co. Um, but I think I think we also need to give props as well whilst we're doing it to to that um, Chiefs O line that was rebuilt in the off season and has managed to keep Mahomes up. You know, um, Creed Humphrey, what what a pickup in the draft. He's been exceptional all season. You know, they re- they brought in Orlando Brown. Uh, they brought in Kyle Long, and that just—they've just been ec- excellent all season to protecting Mahomes, um, and it just shows you what a good protection can do when you've got, um, you know, when you when you give your quarterback a bit of time and what he can do with the ball. Um, I think if I had to call it, I think it's the Chiefs. I think this is the Chiefs' year. I think they, you know, this is a. Um, I think Mahomes is very quickly going to take over from Brady's mantle of becoming that quarterback that we're all just sick of after a while <laughs> because he just wins everything. But at least he's fun to watch. At least he makes the game, you know, uh, really, really good to watch. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be... A, it, it won't be a blowout because um, championship games are very rarely blowouts, but I'd uh, I'd pick Kansas City if I had to. Yeah, the last time they played, just to remind everybody, it was only a few weeks ago. It's the only loss that the Chiefs have suffered since the um, start, of, well, since the end of October. They haven't. This is the only game they've lost from November onwards. On that day, we've talked about the Cincinnati defense earlier. Probably goes still a little bit under the radar and still underrated. Tyree Kill had six receptions for forty yards. Travis Kelsey had five for twenty-five in that game. So you said there, Josh, you don't change nothing on offense if you're the Chiefs. You know realistically, the Bengals had a pretty good game plan for them last time. So, you know, I think everybody's sort of almost potentially sort of writing the Bengals off before this one's actually started. I, I agree with Steve. I think this is going to be a lot closer than what the most, you know, what most casual fans think it's going to be. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's this is definitely not going to be a runaway game. I mean, it can't be when you consider a 34-31 loss um, if you're a Chiefs fan just on the 2nd of January, you know. But in terms of offense, they were still able to get 31 points. This is, you know, in terms of what I was saying earlier, it's about how do you get down from conceding 34 points. Uh, The way in which the Bengals are currently going in terms of how they've played against the Raiders and the Titans, they're currently looking at scoring, you know, mid-20s. So the Chiefs have to try and emulate that. Meanwhile, the Chiefs have continued going at a rate of about 35, 40 points. 
they've got to be able to keep doing that in order to win. So it's, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, averages, therefore, this is what you said. You know, Vegas is probably looking at that, but we, we, we're definitely of a, of a group mindset. I believe that we have to, um, you know, you have to consider the fact that the Bengals are very good at keeping games close. You know, their defense has definitely done a lot in order to keep games closer, which I think has been a godsend for their offense as well, when they've not been firing on as many cylinders as they'd like. And if they can do that again, then obviously their offense is going to take advantage of that. If they can keep the Chiefs to within 25 to 30 points, the Bengals are going to feel like Joe Burrow can do that. And they've shown that they can. Um, I think a lot of it is going to be about momentum. I think the fact it's an arrowhead is going to mean something as well. Obviously, the um, the regular season game was in the jungle in Cincinnati. So I do think that that had a bit on it as well. Um, also, I think it's very difficult to do to, to do back-to-back wins in this league. You know, we see it with divisional games all the time of splits and all the rest of it. They're going to have to get over that as well, especially with it being so recent. You know, coaches are going to be able to look at very recent tape and be able to readdress. So, you know, I think it's going to be harder for the Bengals to be able to replicate that. And I think that the Chiefs are going to feel like there is a score to be settled as well. I think just quickly as well on the Bengals, like if if they get the ball first, you know, if, if in whatever reason, just shove it down their throat. Literally do what you do best. Use the air game. Let Joe Burrow air it out because that that Kansas City secondary is not great. Like that's yeah. where they can be got at. That secondary is not great. Shove it down their throat. Put a touchdown on the board early doors. March down that field. You know, do a, make a big drive. Put a touchdown on the board straight away and say, okay, that's what we can do. You know, that's what we came here to do. We're in your house now. You can answer us. And just make a statement straight away. And yeah, I think this is going to, like you said, it's going to be a lot of momentum. And if they can score early, you know, put the pressure on Kansas City, get them to answer back. Yeah, that's what teams were doing at the start of the season. I mean, I even look at the Browns Chiefs week one. The emphasis was all about scoring early, scoring big, scoring early, making risks, taking risks and executing them. And then going on from there, you know, we fizzled out towards the end. Others didn't. Others were able to keep in it and momentum rode on them. But that's what you have to do against a team like the Chiefs because their offense will kill you otherwise. Feels like it's going to be the high scoring one of the two, doesn't it, in terms of the games on Sunday? I'll leave the oh, actual yes. betting. I'll, I'll leave the betting tips for the lads on the betting podcast. But here's one I like, fellas, because I did just have a look and saw that the Chiefs are actually opening up as seven point favourites. Little bet that's here. High. Yeah, I thought that was high, but it is a little bet that I do like. Travis Kelsey to score a touchdown, Tyreek Hill to score a touchdown, Jamar Chase to score a touchdown, and that to be a successful two-point conversion in the game, he's 20-1. to 1. I might have me a little Ooh. 50 pence on that. I'm, I think that's Ooh, cool. that, that, that two-pointer, that's, that's saucy. Yeah. I'll see what I'll see what Adam and the boys think of that. I might put that one in the group and see if they, see if they can advise on uh, on the betting pod later in the week. Let's flip it over to the other side then, and the NFC 49ers at the Rams. Rams open this one as three and a half point favourites. Um, probably feels it should is be the other Yeah, it probably feels as though this one should be the one that the Rams are the seven points favourites, and the AFC should be a three and a half possibly. I don't know, Steve. What do you think? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why uh, they are favourites because let's just be honest, the 49ers are going to win because they 
They've beaten the Rams last six times they've played them. Six times. Oh, right. Okay. So this is the Rams bogey team. Mm Because I keep forgetting as I keep saying on this pod. Do you remember a few weeks back when we talked about the 49ers and how they'd lost um, 13 of 14 home games? Their only win at home in that stretch was the Rams. (laughs) Right. Because they beat the Rams every year twice every year so no matter how bad you think that the the jimmy g is and how you know one-sided this offense versus defense battle is going to be this 49ers team have had the rams number for a long time even this season 31 10 in november yeah this season they've had their number for a long time now if there was a time for matt stafford to have his game like he did against the ravens you know when he was just handing the ball out to ravens (laughs) defenders like this is it I genuinely think this game is definitely not tied up like a lot of people think it will be for the Rams. They're at home. 49ers fans are going to travel. They're going to try and make it like a home game like they did at Dallas. But um, Los Angeles is a lot closer. Um, It's going to be a real fiery atmosphere. Um, And it just would not surprise me if this is a low sort of battle in the trenches, low scoring game, a lot of running the ball a lot of defensive sort of turnovers and yeah, it would not, it just would not surprise me to see the 49ers in a Super Bowl again. And and one other thing just quickly before I pass it over back in like week six, week seven, we were talking about Kyle Shanahan and whether or not he should be fired. And now he's taken this 49ers team to the second NFC championship game in three years. How wrong were we? <laughs> The NFL comes at you fast. It, it comes really at you fast. Does. And it, it really, really does, does punch you in the mouth when you're wrong. It really does. Yeah. Mm. Um, I have to admit, Steve has completely turned me 180 on this. I I knew that there was a team that the Rams were, were cagey on. I did not think it was the 49ers, but here we are. Uh, that changes things. I'm now completely... Un- on paper, the Rams should win this game handsomely. They are by far the better team. Um, and realistically, Jimmy Garoppolo will not be the one to win this game if the 49ers do. It will be all on Debo Samuel and Trent Williams. Um, I refuse to believe that Jimmy Garoppolo will be the deciding factor no matter what. Um so I think that the Rams definitely have the more talent, but there is a reason why these records exist. You know, that this is an anomaly that continues to happen, which makes it a trend, which makes it a backable trend. So I'm actually going to say fair play to Vegas for making that three and a half. And I actually think it's a money line bet. Um, it's probably one that I wouldn't touch. Now I'm actually quite excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Bengals 49ers um, could legitimately happen, folks. I oh, think listen. I had them I think I had them at seventeenth and eighteenth in the power rankings at the start of the season or something stupid, and that could well be the Super Bowl. It could well be. Could well be. And to be fair, look, you know, Steve said it last week and he, he sort of opened up this week saying maybe there were a couple of surprises. They are now four teams that are capable of beating each other on their day as they've proven on their day, you know, the lower seeds in both games have, have got victories against the higher seeds in this season alone. So anyone that's thinking this is a done deal and it's a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl is seriously mistaken. They'll be two tough, tight, competitive games, as they always, always are. Um, like I say, I think the, the early one has got the makings of a high scorer. And I agree with Steve. I think the later one's got the makings of a good defensive battle, probably going to be... 
wouldn't surprise me if it's one on turnovers or one on special teams. Maybe Robbie Gould's streak finally comes to an end in a pivotal way and he doinks one off the bar or something. Um, that'd be a sad way for his streak to go, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, they, they should be two cracking games, shouldn't they? Just quickly as well, before we finish up, um, a stat that's just come back to me that I forgot about. Um, does he involve that Prescott? The, it does not. It does not. This is the first you may time... Proceed. This is the first time since 2010 that both number one seeds have gone out in the divisional round. And it is it, it was very surprising to see both of them go. And it just shows how that week's rest doesn't always work for everyone. Yeah, we nearly had the first ever four away victories as well, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, that was Kansas so City close. Spoiled that, but that was close to happening as well. So, yeah, it's been a, a crazy couple of weeks of playoff action, which probably sits well in what has been a pretty crazy and topsy-turvy NFL season. Attention will very quickly turn towards next year, and we alluded to it at the start. So let's touch on it, boys. The last five, ten minutes just to close the podcast out. Big news breaking tonight is that Sean Payton has told the New Orleans Saints that he will not be returning. Um, so that's another head coaching vacancy that's available. Um, you know, his record has been pretty phenomenal. You know, he obviously got a Super Bowl. Um, you know, back, back a few years now, I suppose the regret will be that they didn't build on that. They obviously had Drew Brees, um, you know, at the peak of his power. So they a you know, similar situation, I suppose, if you like, from um, the, the Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay that have probably wanted more out of that Drew Brees career. But um, Steve, let's let's come to you. You know, you sort of alluded to it earlier, your um, reaction to the, the Sean Payton news. Yeah, obviously it's it's a massive, massive um, deal. I I didn't think he'd retire. Um, and interestingly, he's giving a press conference right now as we we're recording, and he's just said this. This is a quote from Payton himself. Um, I don't like the word retirement. I still have a vision for doing things in football. I'll be honest with you, that might be coaching again at some point, but that's not where my heart is right now. I think to me that tells me that he's going to take a year or two out. You know, he's going to you know step away from coaching for a while, and I think he'll be back. Um, lot of lot of instant links to Dallas, and you know if Mike McCarthy can't get them over the line next year, then you know that that job could be prime for him there. Um, he's obviously an incredible talent. You know he's the the things he's managed to do with that roster, or especially since Breeze retired, um, and managed to keep them competitive with that roster and the the glaring cap hole that they have, and make things work. He's a, he's obviously an exceptional coach, and I think New Orleans will miss him big time. Um, be interested to see what Dave thinks, our, our resident Saints fan. Um, I think without Peyton, the Saints all of a sudden go towards being, you know, potentially the worst team in that in that division without Sean Payton. Um, be interested to see how they fill that void. But we now have nine head coaching vacancies, as we said earlier. Um, it's incredible that there's that many at the start of the season. I thought there might be sort of four, maybe five, but having nine is incredible. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what you guys think is the most attractive one of the of the nine, because I think although Peyton stepping down, I don't think that Saints job is very appealing, given that they have absolutely no cap space whatsoever for about the next four years. Um, and would you really want to follow in the footsteps of Sean Payton? Probably not. Feels a little bit like uh, following Alex Ferguson at Man United, doesn't it? To yeah. be honest, it's um, it probably not going to be good. I mean, we'll, we'll come on to the, the coaching side of it in a minute, Josh, just in terms of the Saints and what it means. Let's look at that division. Let's let's play devil's advocate and Tom Brady does, does decide he's not coming back. All of a sudden, that division is horrible. Absolutely horrible, isn't it? You're going to have the Bucks in rebuild without a quarterback. You're going to have the Saints in rebuild without a quarterback. You've got the Panthers in rebuild without a quarterback. 
And let's face it, Matt Ryan's not any spring chicken, so that's only a matter of time until that happens. Good year for the AFC North to play the NFC South next I year, I was mate. just that's about a... to say, what a fantastic year for the AFC North to come rolling in, eh? Because it was not looking good at one point. Indeed, uh, but yes. yeah, just, just on Sean Payton, mate, your thoughts on it, because, um, like I say, really successful career. Um, I actually agree with Steve. He feels a little bit like Bruce Arians, doesn't he? If you remember, Bruce Arians took a year and went to do some commentary for CBS and very quickly got the bug and, and came back. Maybe that's what Sean Payton ends up doing. But, um, you know, for now, he's stepping away. Um, you know, it's a big hole, isn't it, that he's leaving there? Yeah, so I think that realistically it kind of makes sense when you look at what's been happening behind the scenes at the Saints. There seems to have been a hell of a lot go on in the last couple of years and practically none of it is positive. You know, as Steve says, they've got no cap space, they can't improve, they've got a terrible QB situation over there as well. I feel sorry for Dave in a, in a way because it does seem to be a very difficult situation. I think they're going to have to off, offload a lot of their talent in order to make some cap room to sort of realign themselves with the league again. And I was going to make that divisional point that right now the NFC South, it looks like it's going to have gone from one of the best places to 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 ply your trade to one of the worst the um the books have now said Bruce Arian said that they are looking to reload, not rebuild. But the roster is going to look very different next year. I guess that is the consequence of re-signing all of your Super Bowl team um to cap friendly contracts. So I imagine that Brady I do think Brady will probably say goodbye. And then also on top of that, you've got quite a few of their team that will end up walking. They'll probably keep their main stars, but a lot of the, um, a lot of the 53 will be saying sayonara. And then, like you say, the Panthers are not looking like anything anytime soon. And um, I'm trying to remember, and Atlanta as well. I mean, my God, I couldn't even think of Atlanta. Then they're so far in the back of my mind. So, you know, that division's not looking good, but yeah, Peyton's just walking, Sean Peyton's just walking off a burning ship, which is not of his creation. I I really think he'll be back as soon as he's gone. Give it a year, maybe two, wait for the right job to come to him, because as Steve's alluded to, not many nice positions have come up. I'd say maybe the Dolphins is probably the nicest position. And even then, that's saying a lot considering that division. Question mark. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's probably a nice time for a lot of coordinators to come up. But if you're a veteran head coach that wants a nice cushy job, it ain't happening this year. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, just in terms of the Saints, like you say, it, it's it's an horrendous situation with the cap. I've just very quickly brought up the uh, the over the cap breakdown for the team, and there 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 aren't actually that many players that they can cut and actually save some cap money. They, there's two that stand out, and they are Bradley Roby, who would save them nine and a half million. So I think it's pretty safe to say Bradley Roby won't be playing in New Orleans next year. The only other one that saves anything like sort of substantial money is uh, Mark Ingram, who'd save them £2.3 That's it. Everybody else would either cost them more money to cut them or the savings are that minimal. Michael Thomas, for example, they could save £2 million on cap if they got rid of him, but they'd have to eat £22 million in dead money anyway. See, this and is all the of the contracts are... Yeah. isn't it? 
Yeah, all of the all of the contracts are the same. Taysom Hill, if they cut him, it's twenty five million. Um, twenty five million for Taysom Hill. Good lord, Marshawn Lattimore's cap number next year, fellas, forty million. His cap number, forty million. Marshawn Lattimore, and if they cut him, you can add an extra fifteen million in dead money. So it's fifty five million to cut Marshawn Lattimore. So, look, I don't know how they're going to get there. They'll, they'll figure a way to, to sort of get within the rules, obviously, you would imagine. But, yeah, £74 million over the cap as it, things stand. It does make you wonder, doesn't it? Like, the, the books have obviously, like you said, Josh, have given out loads of contracts to try and get the band back together and, and sort of go on another Super Bowl run. And it obviously hasn't ended well. And, obviously, this cap problem that the Saints have is as a result of them trying to throw everything at it to get a Super Bowl ring before Breeze retired. It didn't work, and now Breeze is gone. Then Breeze has a dead, dead cap hit, uh, dead money hit number of $11.5 million this season, 2022 that is, <laughs> like, because he retired and his contract was so backloaded. Like, you are right, Sean. They've got nowhere where they can really save any money. They're going to have to invest heavily in the draft. I'd be surprised if they make any free agent signings at all. There'll be a lot of contracts that'll be restructured. Um, obviously, the cap is going to be much higher than than it was this season. So they'll be, they'll be you know, better off because of that. But it's, yeah, they're going to have to play some cap gymnastics and try and get this back over the line. But yeah, I think... New Orleans is set for a for a few years of mediocrity, perhaps if they weren't already there um, before they can really start rebuilding. Because not only have they now lost their head coach, but there's there was already questions about whether or not they've even got a quarterback worthy of of, be, of having a starting job in New Orleans. So, and who knows what's happening with the Michael Thomas situation? So, yeah, and one thing as well is that the Saints probably feel like they can do that now, especially if the books are starting to move a little bit backwards as well. You know, they were still able to get into the playoffs this year with practically no quarterback, let's face it, because of the fact that Winston got injured so early and yet we're still able to get to the playoffs. Um, They know that they're in for a couple of years, rocky years now, but if they can still be competitive within their division, you know, mediocrity could still be good for a number four seed. And because of how bad the NFC has been in general recently, maybe even a number seven. So... You know, it's not all doom and gloom, but you definitely don't want to be crunching the numbers. No, definitely not. And just to answer your question, um, Steve, directly about the head coaching vacancies, for me, I'd probably at the minute be looking at either of the two in the NFC North. I think either the Vikings or the Bears. Um, I think it obviously depends on whether you get the right guy to blend with Justin Fields, but obviously they've got a quarterback to, to build around. They've got a decent defence. And I think the same in Minnesota. I think you can come in. You've got plenty of skilled players on that roster. Kirk Cousins will tie things over for at least another 12 months. Um, and then you could potentially look to obviously upgrade or move on from there, particularly if Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back as well. I think the problem with the other openings that you've got Denver sort of jumps off the page in terms of having lots of talent, but that's a really, really tough division. Same same can be said with the Raiders. You know, I think, you know, having the Chargers and the Chiefs to play against every year with Herbert and Mahomes isn't exactly, uh, you know, making that overly appealing. And then I think in terms of the others, you know, the Giants, you just wouldn't want to touch it with a barge pole at the minute, would you? Let's be honest, the Jags the same, the Texans the same, Miami potentially, but like you say, you know, it could well be that the Bills are building their own little bit of a dynasty um, over the course of the next decade. So, um, really, really interesting though, like I say, the fact that none have been filled, um, let's put it this way, if I was ranking them, the Saints job would certainly be 
probably probably about on par with the Houston job, I would say at the moment, the Saints job. Um, you know, it's going to be a really tough couple of years for whoever takes that gig on. Um, you know, it'd be really interesting, and hopefully, whoever they, whoever does come in has some realistic expectations. Because I've got to be honest, I think the fact that the Houston Texans job is even available is an absolute disgrace. I don't know what they expected from David Cully with that roster. You know, but for me to get four wins with that roster, for Davis Mills to look like a genuine, you know, potential prospect at that quarterback position, I don't really know what else they wanted from Houston this year. I really don't. So, um, you know, they, they deserve to end up with somebody like a Heinz Ward or a Josh McCown with their first head coaching gig and hopefully it falls on their face around them because uh, very, very questionable to say the least. Right, boys, we've done nearly an hour and a half, so I think it's time to get out of here. Um, it's sad when we get to this stage of the year because there's only three games left now. Four if you want to include the Pro Bowl, but we don't really want to include the Pro Bowl. So there's three games left that mean something, isn't there? So it is always a sad time, but um, you know we've probably had the best weekend of football in terms of close games and drama and excitement. Let's see if the championship games can live up to that level of expectation. Um, just to confirm in terms of the kickoff times there, not too bad from a UK perspective. Five past eight, the scheduled kickoff for the early game. That's obviously the Bengals at the Chiefs. And then uh, 20 to midnight for the 49ers at the Rams. So all being well, providing there's no overtime, should be around about a half to bedtime. Fingers crossed at least. Predictions, lads? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Chiefs 49ers, why not? I, I want to see that. Super Bowl repeat. I hope for the lads in the group the Bengals can do it, but I've got to go with the Chiefs. I think they are the the, the far superior team with more firepower, and I think they'll want to get that um, defeat avenged. And I am going to go with the Rams as well. I, I know there's this hoodoo of the 49ers, but I do think that Matt Stafford will make a difference. And unless Jimmy Garoppolo has a exceptional game, they're going to need more than 11 for. 19, you know, 11 of 19 for 100 yards. That's not going to get the job done this weekend. So I will go with the two favourites, but I don't expect them to be blowouts in either game. I'm looking forward to two really good games. Yeah, I think I think that it both will be close games. I, I think both will probably be within a score. Um, I think the Chiefs will get one over on the on the Bengals. Like you said, Josh being an arrowhead is a big is a big uh, difference maker. And whilst, like you say, John, whilst the 49ers have got this this the Rams number, I think McVay finds a way to get it done. I think it'll be tight and I think it'll be close. But I think McVay finds a way to get it done, and I think we're in for a for a Chiefs Rams Super Bowl in LA. Yeah, probably on yeah, it could be indeed. Roll on Sunday, boys. Can't wait to, to get it started. The lads will be back later in the week with some proper betting advice, but I'm still quite liking my 20 to 1, fellas. I'm going to have me 50 pence on that. I'm definitely I reckon going that, that will get featured in it, mate, to be fair. That's probably well, that what is... it's not thought of either. I hope it does. I'm going, to, I'm going to text Adam and Tim and say, lads, what do you think to this and see what they say. But yeah, I'll certainly get my 50 pound. But tune in to the boys. Always plenty of well thought out and educated advice from them as opposed to just a random punt from me. Um, they'll be back later on in the week to uh, to break it all down in terms of the odds and the betting. We'll be back next week to discuss how it all went down. There'll be previews on the site as well heading up to the weekend. So um, some really good written stuff from the boys as well. So make sure you get your eyes onto that as well. We have been the Full 10 Yards Podcast. We'll be back next week to discuss the potential Super Bowl matchup. Can't wait. See you then. Thanks for listening to the podcast. 
Don't forget to find us on all our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok and YouTube. Head over to our website, full10yards.com, where you can find out more information about why we are hashtag for the game.